Well, thrilled to have you here. Uh, we've been in this series called The Word on Words, looking at how do we use our language. And if you're a guest with us tonight, uh, you picked a great night to be here because this sermon is supposed to be a little shorter. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and then... Um, I was told I have five hours of camera time, but I, I was like, I won't go that long. So uh, we'll pick up kind of in the series where we've been, but I want to do a little recap. And if you are new, like we never do this, except for like the last two weeks we've been doing this, because I've been challenging us to to kind of memorize two verses now. I, I know it's a lot, uh, but like James 119 and Ephesians from last week, Ephesians 4.29. And we kind of issued the challenge for every single one of us because we said there's a, a new rhythm here and a new purpose here that we want to not just memorize, be able to recall it, but we want to know it so well we, become, we begin to internalize it. And it begins to change how we speak and how we use our words because I'm convinced, friends, I'm just convinced if the church could get better at this, then not only will your relationships get better, your relationship with your kids and your spouse and your friends, your family, but the church will get to a place where it actually can earn the right to be heard. But we got to practice this. We got to get better at it. So again, we never do this except for the last two weeks. And now I guess it's the third week. So I, I guess I got to stop saying we never do this. But hey, we never do this. So I'm um, like, uh, anyone bold enough to be able to recite either James 1.19 or... I'm giving you options. What? Ephesians 4.29. You can pick either one of those. You're bold enough. You don't have to stand up, but like you got to raise your hand type thing and kind of shout a little bit. I'm kind of looking around. Okay, you want, you want to do it, Zach? Okay. Okay. James 1.19. Okay. Oh, good. They're not giving you the answer. I'm proud. Okay, okay, good. Okay, good. James 1.19. Yeah, you're good. You're good. That's right. That's awesome. No. All right. <clears throat> I got some Jesus chicken, Chick-fil-A, just for participating here. Well done. You got it. Anyone else bold enough? You good? Okay, Jose, go for it, man. Ephesians, okay. Do not let any wholesome talk. Only what is helpful. I'm trying it. You got it. You're close, man. That it may build. That's right. That's right. It may build up those who listen. Good job. All right. M&Ms make friends. You'll have to share it around a little bit. 
The cool thing is Jose can roll right to you. It's awesome. So, uh, so um, we are thrilled. Uh, and again, I just want to issue this challenge. And like, we're not joking. Like, this isn't just a suggestion. Like, we are really trying to, to drill home in this. And so this idea of do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, then it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29, what we looked at in the very first week, James 1.19 that everyone should take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow, whoa, whoa, to speak, right? And slow to become angry. This rhythm that we want to adopt. And friends, I'm convinced if we get this right, if we get better at this, not only do your relationships win, but the world around us will take note of people who are different than the culture is around us. So tonight, I want to, with the time we got, want to dig into another aspect of this. So we're looking at a new rhythm. That's James 119. Looking at a new purpose to build up. That's Ephesians 429. We want to use our words well. And Paul has a statement here in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there, Philippians chapter 4. If you want to open the app and go down to sermon notes, you can find it there. But in this, he has a statement that says, Here's what I want you to focus your mind on. So before we kind of unpack this a little bit and kind of drill into it, you got to remember who Paul is. See, the beautiful part of the history of Christianity is God is about doing life change and radical life change, change that, that transforms people's lives. Because Paul wasn't always Paul. In fact, he was Saul early on, and he was this religious leader in Judaism that was really a Pharisee of the Pharisees, actually trying to stamp out this movement of Jesus post the resurrection. So Jesus lives, he dies, he rises again, and Christianity is birthed, and the church is beginning to, to kind of uh, take off and go, and in that moment, Saul says, look, this isn't right, and he begins to try to stamp out the church and oversees murders and imprisonment of people until Jesus shows up to Saul and says, what are you doing? <laughs> and Saul has a moment of conversion in his own life, a guy that if you were looking at him, you would say, there's no way that guy would ever follow Jesus. He's actually trying to stamp Jesus out until Jesus gets a hold of his heart and changes him. There isn't a friend that you know that is too far gone. There isn't a family member that you have around you that is too far gone. Jesus changes lives, and he changed Saul's life, and he became Paul. And he went from trying to eliminate the whole church to being the greatest advocate for the church. And he wrote most of your New Testament that you read and that I read. And it's still transforming lives even now, 2,000 years later. God is always at work, friends. And so you keep praying for the people that you care about. You keep praying for yourself or for change. And if you're here and you're new and you're like, I don't know if this is real, just would you, would you just maybe give yourself permission to open your mind a little bit, open your heart a little bit, to, that maybe God can even transform your life as well. And so that is this, that's the guy who writes what we're reading here. Finally, brothers and sisters, and I love this, I want you to begin to realize how many times he says, brothers and sisters. Why? Because women are important, and they're just as important as men. And the Bible affirms that over and over. Whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you to think about such things. 
He's directing us to say, look, I want your thought life to be captivated by these things. These adjectives should describe what your mind is kind of marinating on over and over. And it doesn't mean you don't have side conversations in your own head. It doesn't mean you're not distracted, but it means you come back to these things over and over. Why is Paul saying that? He's directing us because our thought life will actually influence our talk life. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But what you and I think about will actually begin to have influence on what we say. And so tonight is where we begin to look at this, this topic of um, what some people would say where, where conversations go sideways, where relationships begin to go sideways. Uh, some people frame it and, and put a word to it like gossip. If you just elongate that word, gossip, sounds kind of snaky, doesn't it? It's, what is gossip? Well, sometimes it's hard to figure that out, right? And sometimes it's hard to know, okay, am I gossiping? Am I not? It's, it's kind of like nailing jello to a wall. It doesn't stay there very long. It's, it's hard to, to know exactly what it is. But, 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 but here's when we do know. It's when we hear our name in it. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? And all the flags go off inside. You're like, hey, whoa, that's about me. And we know gossip when it's about us. But sometimes when we're in conversation, it can get a little tricky. What, what is that? And I think Paul has some insight here and in 2 Timothy we'll look at tonight where he, he's kind of saying, I want your thought life to be focused on these things. The truth is what we let our minds think about will eventually be what our words talk about. And so Paul's saying, look, I know you live in a culture that, that, that likes dirty laundry, but I want you to focus on what's clean and good. I want your thought life to be focused here because what you think about will actually be what you end up talking about. But see, we live in a culture too that loves dirty laundry, that loves the tabloid news of life. Our hearts and minds are drawn to the dirt, the news that's out there. Whether it's the negative news cycle or the tabloids in grocery store, the latest celebrity gossip, that kind of news is big business in our culture. It's big business in our culture. But listen to this proverb. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says, the words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Gossip might be tasty, but it's also dangerous and damaging to relationships. It's kind of the dark side of communication. It gets conversations going sideways, which eventually kind of leads to relationships going sideways. And the scripture has a lot to say about gossip, slander, how we use our words that affect relationships. And it may not even be just that simple to categorize, but it's the way our words, the way our conversations begin to influence relationships around us. And we're told, look, flee from those word sins. Offer words of truth and encouragement and praise in its place. We're to concentrate on words that build up, not tear down. We're to put our focus on what matters most and ignore hearsay and stories that may true, be true or there's pseudo-truth or half-truth, there's twisted truth in it. If you don't know, you need to be here. And Paul's saying, look, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true. What's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy, focus on these things. Let your focus be here, your thought life be here, and it'll impact your talk life. Now, I say all that to say, anyone ever gossiped before? What? Me too. 
And here's the truth. I want to get better at not doing that. My hunch is the reason you're sitting here is, and the reason you're hanging around with this series is you want to get better, that you want your words to matter and have more life to them and have less taking from life. I love what uh, Scott Sauls is a pastor in Tennessee. He said this, gossip is pornography of the mouth. Like porn, it seeks a cheap thrill at someone else's expense with zero commitment to them. That gossip has a way of, of, of stinging, of hurting, and damaging people. You look through Proverbs and it says words like this, a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Proverbs 11, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person is able to keep a secret. Proverbs 16, a perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friends. Here's what I know. My hunch is you've had relationships begin to experience distance and separation and some damage because of some words that either you said or words that someone else said. And it began to make the conversation go sideways and eventually it began to trickle out and begin to make the relationship go sideways. And you can feel it and you can sense it and you can know it. See, the truth about gossip is that those with loose tongues cannot expect tight relationships. Those with loose tongues can't expect tight relationships. When you give in to gossip, you begin to vandalize someone else's dignity. You begin to harm them. If we have a bone to pick with someone, here's what scripture says, Matthew 18. You need to go to that person and not talk about that person. See, gossip has a way of saying, I'm going to talk about that person with a whole bunch of other people instead of actually going to that person. Now, is going to that person difficult and challenging? Yes. Why? Because communication is hard, right? That's why communication is one of the, the greatest things we can all work on in our friendships, in our, our relationships, our, our, our marriages. Communication's tough. It's not easy because it's about perception and reception, about what I receive from other people, how I read it. Maybe I read it wrong. And so this communication is a challenge. But sometimes it's hard to know, like, when am I gossiping? I love the definition Rick Warren said this, because it's hard to nail down. He gave it this way. When you're talking about a situation with somebody who's neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then you're probably gossiping. Let me read that again. When you're talking about a situation with somebody who's neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then you might, maybe, could be gossiping. And so we need to watch that. We need to be alert to that. I think intent has a big part to play in here. And do I have an intent to harm someone in the conversation I'm having right now? Or do I have an intent to help? someone or this situation or this relationship at work or the relationship in my neighborhood or on my team, whatever it may be. In a culture that loves to talk a lot, anyone agree our culture loves to talk? In a culture that loves to talk a lot, there is great wisdom in knowing when to hold your tongue. There's wisdom to know when to speak and when not to. One of the great Christian virtues is to simply hold your tongue. That we don't have to say everything we think. We don't have to voice 
everything we have a thought or opinion about. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Christian martyr in the Second World War, said this, often we combat our evil thoughts and most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. If we just internalize it some and say, no, I'm not going to let that go, go out. I'm going to guard my tongue. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That in scripture, Paul is saying, look, I want you to put your thought life around these things. I want you to focus because your thought life will impact your talk life. And I want you to think about it. Elsewhere, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he talks to Timothy, kind of a young protege pastor, and he's raising him up in the faith. And he, he says, I want, you to, I want you to be like uh, you're in the military, a soldier that has a dedication that doesn't get caught up in civilian affairs. He's got to focus on a mission. And that's what he cares about. And that's where his mind goes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, well, I want you to be like a great athlete that is focused on the mission of what they're accomplishing. I, I stopped at breakfast this morning, ran into Tatum, who used to run at U of A and is applying or kind of trying to qualify for the Olympics. And she's applying for her doctorate. I'm like, catch me up on your life and how things are going. She said, you can pray for this. I've got one more chance at the Olympics. Do you know what time she was running this morning? Long before I got to breakfast. Because elite athletes train. You know this to be true. That's why we're not elite athletes. I'm not. I'll speak for myself. This idea, they, they train on a level. They have a focus about them that's different. And Paul is saying, I want you to have a focus like this. And then he skips down in verse 14 through 16. Here's what he says. He, he says, I, you keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value. Don't get caught up in quarrels. It only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth, correctly handles the scripture. And then this phrase, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Whoa. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Paul's saying, look, don't get caught up in these conversations that you know deep inside can go sideways. And it eventually begins to make the relationships go sideways. You need to guard your tongue. Back to James chapter 3, week 2. Remember? And James is pointing out, look, the tongue is untamable. It will be a, a constant uh, prerequisite for you to guard your tongue because there's going to be this unpredictable factor to your words your whole life, from your first word to your last. You will never tame it. And so you have to be on your guard. Remember his words? With it, meaning with the tongue, with your words, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in his likeness. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. This should not be. James is saying, look, this is a, a tightrope. You're going to have to walk all your life. See, with our words, we can curse our brothers and sisters. We can discourage them. We can weaken them. We can break them down. On the flip side, we can also bless people and encourage them and strengthen them and build them up. We are all enlisted in to speak encouragement to one another. No one gets a pass from that. Every single one of us as a follower of Jesus is enlisted to say, you can have a voice that speaks to build others up. 
one of the biggest problems of gossip isn't just that gossip hurts other people, it's that the statement of gossip we often share isn't the real story. It's incomplete in content and maybe intent. And yet we share it, and we share it a little bit, and then it gets shared a little bit more, and it's like two degrees off, two degrees off, two degrees off, and pretty soon it's way off, right? You ever play the telephone game? Do you remember the telephone game? Those of you who are millennials, it was like not the real telephone. It was like when a person far down the line would say a phrase and they would share it with the next person, with the next person, with the next person, and it would try to get to the very end. I had no idea this game still existed. I thought it went out in the 80s youth group days. But apparently my daughter played it last week at school with friends. And I was like, what? They, 13 times they said, they tried to share a phrase from the very first person to the last person. Guess how many times they got the phrase to be the same? Zero. Now, part of it's because there's middle school boys in here. They just want to ruin everything, right? So they're just going to mess it up. But listen, listen. The truth is, very rarely does it actually get shared correctly and truthfully. It actually ends up being two, three, four degrees off, and by the end, it's way off. And not only has the conversation gone sideways, now relationships are beginning to go sideways. And damage is beginning to happen. Bonnie Miller from the Chicago Tribune writes this, Gossip always hurtful, but once limited to note-passing, phone calls, and scrawls in a bathroom wall, is more pervasive and vicious than ever, thanks to the internet. And stories get shared. I don't, a side note, uh, I don't know if you knew this, everything on the internet's not true. Just... Sorry to point that out if you didn't know, but like sometimes we share stuff and we have to wrestle with this. When it comes to gossip and sideways conversations, we've got to zip it. We've got to stop and we've got to consider some things. We've got to begin to look beneath our words because sometimes our words, you ever said something and gone, why in the world did I say that? You ever had that? Where you say something out loud to somebody, you snap back at someone, and then instantly you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Right? Sometimes we've got to do some self-examination. Why do they say that? Is there some insecurity in me that's beginning to drive some conversation, and conversation's going sideways because the reality is I want this person to shrink so I can be built up, and I can look more morally superior, or I can look better off. Sometimes we recognize in other people what we dislike in ourselves. So if I'm a cynical person, sometimes I recognize cynicism in someone else and I amplify it in them because it's such a a big deal to me and what I don't like about myself. And so I amplify it in them and then I talk about that. In reality, maybe that's supposed to be a moment where the Spirit of God is saying to me, hey, yeah, yeah, you see that? You got that. We got to work on that. I want to come in and heal that. I want to help change and reshape that. I want to transform that. And so we've got to continually be in a practice of looking beneath our own words. We've got to continually come back to God and ask for his help. That's the point of James 3. The tongue is untamable, friends. So therefore, you cannot do it on your own, and I can't do it on my own. It's continually coming back and saying, God, I need help. I love the prayer of David. If you want to memorize a prayer, pray about this with your own words. This is a prayer to pray. 
Psalm 141, verse 3 and 4, it says this. David prays, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Don't let my heart be drawn to what's evil. What did Paul say? Hey, whatever's true, whatever noble, what's ever admirable, you let your mind be drawn there. Don't let it be drawn toward evil. You don't need to let it be drawn toward dirty laundry. Friends, what if the church got better at this? What if you, what if me, what if we got better at this? Do you think it might earn some credibility? Do you think it might catch the attention of people who are longing for something different? We are to be people as followers of Jesus who build up with our words. I love the story of Ken Blanchard and Barbara Glantz, who did a training, a conference, with 3,000 frontline workers at grocery stores and retail outlets across the country. And they talked about the power of words. As they gave this conference, many people went home. A month later, Barbara got a phone call from Johnny. Maybe you've heard about Johnny the bagger. This is Johnny's story. As he called Barbara and said, look, I love the conference. I love what you had to say. But you have to know I'm 19. I have Down syndrome. I work as a bagger at the grocery store, and I, was, I don't know what to do with what you challenged us to do. And so I began to think about it, began to pray about it. I went home and I talked to my dad about it. And the thought we came up with is I'm going to write out and print out a, a positive, encouraging message from one of the books I have, or we're going to make one up, and I'm going to print out 300 of them. I'm going to cut them up every single night, and every single night Johnny signs the back of them. And the next day he shows up at work. And he goes to his line, and he begins to bag, and he bags people's groceries. And in the very last bag, he puts that little note on top, that encouraging word or phrase for the day. And he looks the people in the eye, and he says, I put something special in this bag for you. I hope it blesses your day. Have a great day. What's crazy is a month later, the general manager of the store called Barbara and said, I don't know what you all did at that conference that I sent Johnny to, but I'm telling you, it's radically changing our store. Like, there are moments in our store most days where we have five lines open for people to come through, plus a self-checkout, and I look at Johnny's line, and it's lined up back to the frozen food section. And I go over the speaker and say, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for shopping here today. I want to let you know we have lines one, two, three, and four available to help you check out today. And nobody moves. And they stand in line for 30 minutes. And one lady stops the general manager and says, hey, I used to come here once a week or once every other week to get stuff. I come almost every day or every other day now. I just want Johnny's encouraging word of the day. And so she shows up. Think about that. I know there's an org chart for that grocery store. But I'm telling you, the most powerful person there is Johnny. Why? Because he's choosing to use his words to build up. Friends, 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 friends. If a grocery store can figure that out, then the church has got to get this figured out. If a grocery store can get this, then the church 
that dispenses the hope of the world has got to get better at this. That means you. That means me. That means us saying we got to get better at this. we got to get to a place where we can understand that. Matthew 18 is practical. If we have an issue with someone, we need to go to that someone. Is that hard? Yes. Is it right? Yes. Sometimes the right thing is the hard thing. It's much easier to talk about versus to talk to. And yet the challenge for the church, for our church, for any church, is to say we're going to live this practice out. We are going to be a people who build others up. We're going to breathe life into people. Why? The world is hard. The world is challenging around us. There's enough words of anguish and anxiety and pain and stress and despair in our culture all around you every single day. You have employees and coworkers and friends and acquaintances that can cut you down to subatomic particles with their tongue in mere seconds. And we need to be a people who build one another up because it's already hard enough. So we want to be people who speak life. What kind of power and influence can we have in a city if people get this and begin to live this out? Why? It can transform a grocery store. I'm telling you this. It will radically transform a city when people begin to live this out. And so the challenge is real simple. If you've missed any of this series, I never say this. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to go back and listen to every word of it. Not because I said it, but because we need this. We have to get better at this, friends. It will give us the right to be heard in a culture that desperately needs this. And we have the opportunity to do it. So when it comes to gossip, we're going to zip it. We're not going to share it. We're going to be intentional and purposeful about building people up around us. We're going to commit to speaking words of life everywhere and with everyone. Every conversation is a construction zone. And I and you get to build up in it. We can tear down also, but we're called to build up in it. We're going to encourage people the best we know how and the most we can. Because if Johnny can do it, you can do it. And this reality that it will radically change your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, your work relationships. It will transform a city and group of people, one group at a time. If we live by a new rhythm, I'm going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I'm not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth the best I can. I want to avoid fish mouth. That's what we talked about last week if you missed it. I want to avoid that. I want to build others up according to their needs, that it will benefit those who listen. I want to guard my tongue, and I don't want to have sideways conversations because I don't want sideways relationships. So friends, let's practice this. Let's actually live this out. So Jesus, as we take a moment in communion to remember, I guess tonight we're committing ourselves I'm raising my hand. God, I want to get better at this. I am not perfect. I'm far from it. But I'm owning it. I want to get better. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you to raise your hand. If that's you, you want to get better, just raise your hand right where you're at. Say, I want to own it. I want to get better. And so Jesus, we lean into this truth that we want to get better.
We thank you that, Jesus, you came, your life, your death, your resurrection, not only paid away and paved away for us to have life with God, a relationship with you, but that life with God is now. It's transforming power available now, that you can transform us. You can help our words get better. So Jesus, as we take communion, as we hold that bread, that cracker, remembering it was your body that you, you gave, your blood that you shed for the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption of our life, the empowerment of the Spirit in us, that we might be more and more like Jesus. So today we commit, we want to get better. God, next year, this time, would we be able to look back and see progress in our words? And the next decade, and the next decade, And God, would you help us to be a people that build up to transform cities and relationships because we're trying to get better and live more and more like you do, Jesus. We remember you now. As we take communion, as we close in a few announcements, God, would you stir our hearts, what we need to own, and how you want to move us.